Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Okay, everyone, I'm going to encourage you to get your Bibles out now because we're continuing our Christmas series, Jesus is King, hashtag King before Kanye. Uh, Today we've got two separate uh, Bible readings, both from the book of Matthew. Uh, So the first one I want you to turn to is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And after we read through that, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. But I'll remind you before we go to the second one so that you know where you're turning. Uh, If you haven't got a Bible on you and you'd like one, there's baskets down the aisles. Uh, Feel free to grab one of those out. And uh, if you haven't got one at home, that's our gift to you. You can take it home with you. So let's have a look. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through to 30. And I'm reading from the NIV. It's up on the screen as well. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen, yeah. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through to 21 now. And this one's entitled, Jesus Feeds the 5,000. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples And the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Amen. Welcome, Luke. Thank you, Hayden. Thank you, everyone. Just a little trivia question. Where, what are we doing next Sunday? We're going to be at the picnic. So if you turn up here, it's going to be very lonely. So we're going to be down the road, picnic. Uh, it's going to be a great celebration of Christmas as a community. One of the things I've loved at Follow since we started is that we're a family. And families have people of all ages in them. I think a lot of people thought when I planted a church, it would be a young adult church. But it's great to see from day one, we've been a family where we've got people all the way from the sort of senior end of the spectrum right down to newborns. And one of the areas that have always been well represented at Follow, I guess being in a growth corridor, that's to be expected, is young families with parents and quite a few new young mums in our midst, which is wonderful. Uh, The most recent is Josh and Gosha Alice. Uh, Gosha gave birth to Samuel Joshua Alice a couple of weeks ago. I was going to formally welcome them this morning, but Gracie was sick overnight. So they're not here, so hold your applause, but make sure you congratulate them when you see them. I got to hold the little guy yesterday, and he's very, very cute. 
Never giving birth to a child myself. I can only imagine how you mums must feel when you receive Christmas cards with nativity scenes on the front cover because they all look so civilised, don't they? They look a little bit like this. Little baby Jesus, always smiling, smile on his newborn baby face, an angelic glow around his head and the angels watching over him. Have you ever sent a Christmas card with Jesus crying or squawking for food with his face all screwed up? No, they all look a little bit like this, don't they? They're always peaceful and perfect. Here he is, little Jesus, quietly, uh, you know, lovingly gazing into mum's eyes. And mum, well, she looks so refreshed immediately after giving birth. Isn't that how it always happens? It's encouraging, isn't it? Here's a new baby born, Jesus sitting up in the manger, arms raised. Looks like he's starting his public ministry from the manger. And this time the angelic glow has spread from Jesus to Mary and also Joseph. Once again, the angels are looking on. And look how calm the animals are. So relaxed, enjoying life in their five-star stable. And finally, we have little baby Jesus with the dove, who's also caught the angelic glow. And the dove-like beams are shining down on Jesus. And you'll notice Jesus is holding um, some holly in his hand, which is usually really prickly. But this is Jesus, so somehow that doesn't apply for him. (laughs) If you're new parents here today, you're probably looking at these pictures and thinking, yeah, right, if only parenting was that easy. The baby was always quiet, never squawking for food, sleeping through the night, toilet trained from day one. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I need to put your minds at ease this Christmas and let you know that these greeting card images are very idealistic and even more so they are very unrealistic. And I want to say this morning that it would not have been like that for Jesus when he was born in a dark, cold stable laying in a manger. So if you're feeling discouraged about your parenting skills this morning after receiving a card like that, or you're feeling bad about your child who just refuses to sleep, let me just say, and encourage you that that is not how it would have been on that first Christmas. Yes, Jesus was fully human, but he was also, uh, he was without sin, but at the same time, he was fully God, facing the same struggles and limitations that we all experience in our humanity. And just like our children or each of us, when we were born, Jesus would have needed his nappy changed. He would have depended on Mary for feeding and constant care. Jesus would not have been quiet and peaceful all 24 hours of the day. He would have squawked in the middle of the night for food. And no doubt there would have been times when Mary and even Joseph would have felt the same exhaustion and even the same frustration that we all experience as parents and some of you may be feeling right now. But even though Jesus was a regular baby, he was not always restful, he was also extraordinary in many ways. And as he grew up, he made it abundantly clear that he'd come on a mission, a mission to this world, and his mission was to bring peace and to bring rest for all humanity. As we continue our series today, Jesus is King, each week we're looking at a different attribute of Jesus' kingship. And this morning, we're going to look at something in his life that may be a little unexpected, perhaps something you've never heard spoken about at Christmas time when it comes to Jesus' kingship, but I think it's incredibly important for us to grasp. Today I want to explore the idea that Jesus is the restful king. Jesus is the restful king. Well-known theologian Dallas Willard, shortly before he died, was asked to use one word to describe Jesus. And he paused, like he often did. He considered the question. And after considering the question, he responded by saying, relaxed. When I first heard that, I was really surprised. 
Because if you ever asked me to use one word to describe Jesus, that's not one word that would have sprung to mind. In fact, I don't think it would have made the top 50. But as I started to reconsider and re-look at Jesus' life and his ministry, it appeared to be a fairly good description of how he lived. Think about it for a second. Jesus had the most important life mission anyone's ever been given. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. He came to save us from our sin. He came to give us new life. And he came to teach us about the kingdom of God. That was a huge task, particularly since he didn't start his public ministry until he was around about 30 years of age, and he was crucified about three years later. But despite the immensity of the task and the short amount of time, the limitation of time that Jesus had, Jesus never seemed to be rushed. He seemed to be very interruptible on a regular basis. He always had time for people, and he seemed to be very observant of the things that were happening all around him. In fact, many of his parables and his teachings sprung from those observations. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? As he continues to talk, he looks around and he looks over the lilies in the field. and He says, don't worry about what you're going to wear. He says, the lilies don't labor or spin. And look how beautiful they are. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of them. If God clothes the grass of the field like that, then how much more will he clothe you? He uses parables about farmers and gates and seeds and vines and fishing, all things that he observed as he lived his daily life. I heard once someone say that Jesus meandered with purpose. And I love that description. I think it's a good summary of his pace of life, which enabled him to see things or even people that perhaps sometimes we miss. In week one, we talked about the importance of the king. A king sets culture. Culture comes directly from the king. And as we look afresh at Jesus' kingship this Christmas time, there are things we can learn from his birth, but also from his life that can help us refocus as his followers to live as he would want us to as part of his kingdom. And so with the mission Jesus had, this massive mission, and the limited amount of time he had to accomplish it, how is it possible that Jesus could ever be relaxed? I think one of the keys to his earthly life was rest. As I thought about it this week, I thought it's kind of ironic that as Christians, the most often we talk about, the most often times that we use rest and peace in the same sentence is when we talk about someone dying, isn't it? We talk about someone rest in peace. We say that they're now resting with Jesus. It also, it almost implies that you've got to die before you can rest or have any peace. They finally died. They get some rest and peace. But what if resting with Jesus isn't just death? What if resting with Jesus is actually life? What if it's our insane pace of life that's actually killing us? Because I think as I look at Jesus' life, I see that King Jesus actually modelled rest. I heard on a podcast recently someone expressing the idea that sometimes we run ahead of Jesus. In other words, he wants us to follow him. But we're so busy and distracted in our lives in so much of a rush with so many commitments that instead of following him, we kind of run ahead of him and we fail to stop and pray and see and experience some of the things of life that he'd like us to. I think technology's made this even harder, hasn't it? Think about your daily rhythms for a moment. If you're like everybody else on the, place of the, on the face of the earth, 
all of us, we, we kind of plug in at the very start of the day, don't we? We plug into technology, we look at the internet, we get on social media, we read our emails, we plug into our devices from the minute we wake to the second we fall asleep. And as a result, I think we live in a constant state of not only con- connection, but we live in a constant state of distraction. All this busyness, this rushing around means that we live our lives so often from a place of exhaustion with literally nothing left to give rather than a place of refreshment where we can overflow to others. And so where Jesus observed things around him and had space for people in his life, we often don't because, well, to be honest, we're just too busy. If we're not too busy, we're just too distracted. As we consider Jesus' kingship, and his way of life, we need to remember that he was modelling for us what life in the kingdom should look like for his followers. And maybe for some of us, as we reflect on Jesus afresh this Christmas time, it may cause us to kind of reorder our lives or, or reshape the rhythms of our life to better reflect the king that we serve. Next year at Follow, we have put together a calendar and we've put in five weeks of rest in the calendar next year. These are almost complete blackouts. There are no meetings in those weeks. There are no church functions. There are no MCGs. There are no nights out. All we're going to do is a weekend service and our community outreach because homeless people don't have a week off. And the reason we're doing that, the idea of these weeks really, is to model rest for us as a congregation, individually, And as a group of people, and for some of you in those weeks, you're going to just need to sleep. (laughs) For others, it might be to spend time with family, to catch up with some friends you haven't seen for a while. For some of you, it might be a week where you have a digital Sabbath, where you plug off from Facebook or Twitter or the internet. Maybe you don't watch Netflix that week. And the idea is to come back to some of those lost spiritual disciplines that are so important in Jesus' life and the early disciples and right throughout Scripture, those things like solitude, Sabbath, withdrawal to pray, fasting, rest, to create space in our lives to to breathe, to press into God, to pull back from the rat race of life. Ellie Worthington says we need to start breaking busy before busy breaks us. I think the Bible gives us great instruction when it comes to rest. It's modelled by Jesus in his life, but of course it starts a lot earlier than that in the very first book of the Bible. If you look at the creation account, most of us would be aware that even God rested from his work. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What I noticed as I reread this passage looking for the word rest is that God actually blessed the day of rest. So I want you to repeat a little saying after me this morning. Hopefully this will help you remember what we talked about today. Are we ready? Voices ready to go? One person? Anyone else ready? We'll get the hang of it by the third time. All right, so are you ready? Repeat after me. God, God. blessed, blessed. Rest. rest. Say it again. God, God. Blessed, blessed, rest. Let's say it now like you believe it. God, God. Blessed, blessed, rest. I've got you to say it three times because I need to hear it. 
And I'm sure there's people in this room that need to hear it as well, that God blessed rest. You know, I grew up in a hardworking family. And to be honest, things like sleeping in at our house were not an option growing up. It would be more likely to spot a Bigfoot or a Yeti in the front yard than you were to sleep past 7.30, even on the weekend. Mum, block your ears. Don't even want to make eye contact right now, but I remember... When I was young, any time we got past 7.30, we were praising Jesus. But we couldn't really enjoy it because we knew the footsteps were coming. We just knew they were going to come up the stairs. Come on, get out of bed. There's things to do. And we'd be up to do things during the day. And it was not all bad. It was great. It taught us work ethic and it taught us the importance of working hard. And I think that's flown into our life in many ways that have been a blessing ever since. But I think perhaps the downfall of it is that I often underestimated the importance of rest. In fact, if I'm honest this morning, I think there are still times I feel guilty about resting. I feel like there's things I could be getting done. And resting is wasting time like the great prophet Bon Jovi once said. (laughs) I'll live while I'm alive and I'll sleep when I'm dead. It's a great sort of idea for a rock star, but not sustainable in life, is it? See, I usually think that every minute in the day is another opportunity to get something done. And at its deepest point, maybe I've even thought deep down that to please God, I need to keep working. It's the opposite of the gospel, isn't it? So I need to keep telling myself today that God blessed rest. Hear me clearly this morning. I think working diligently and faithfully is a good and godly thing. But if we don't balance it with rest, it becomes an idol in our hearts. What I noticed in the creation account is that God endorsed the day of rest. He didn't think to himself, what a waste. I could have created a whole bunch more galaxies on the seventh day. Now it says that he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. It must mean that rest is not just a good thing, but from the very beginning it's actually a God thing. Now did God need to rest? I don't think so. He wasn't the old man in the sky that people often think God is who kind of grew tired, got grumpy and needed a siesta. No, Psalm 121 tells us he's a God who never sleeps or slumbers. He's the all-powerful God. God didn't need to rest, but what he did in the creation of the world was to lay a foundation and to set a pattern to follow for us because in our humanity, we need to. We're not designed to work, 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 work. We're designed to live in a pattern of work and rest. Work and rest. This is a pattern that God set from the very beginning. Jesus, of course, in his earthly life, modelled to us the value of rest. And as we read through the Gospels, it's demonstrated by him over and over and over again. But it's often something we skim over or we kind of miss it altogether. Perhaps because we're in a rush. Or maybe because we just don't see it as important as the other things that Jesus did. But as I've studied this more, I've actually come to see that Jesus was able to do the things he did because he ministered from a place of rest. You see, for us, we cease from work or ministry, often at the point of exhaustion, to rest. But as I look at Jesus' life, I'm convinced that Jesus came out of rest to minister. He came out of rest to work. There's a big difference. To come out of work to rest is very different to come out of rest to work. It's a big difference. That's why I think Jesus was so often refreshed and relaxed and ready. He was alert and aware of what was going on around him. And he was ministering so often from overflow rather than exhaustion. I think a great example of this is in Matthew 14, 
verses 13 to 21, where Jesus feeds the 5,000, and Hayden read that for us this morning. And as we read it, I think it would be fair to say that we most commonly focus in on the miracle in the story. Now, don't get me wrong, the miracle is extraordinary. Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he broke it, and he prayed, and he multiplied it, and he fed up to 15,000 people. Most of us know the story, but as I reread it aloud this morning, instead of focusing in on the miracle, I want you to widen your gaze to both ends of the passage, and I want you to focus on what you notice about rest. Pick it up at verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, the context of this is that John the Baptist, his cousin and good friend, had just been beheaded. And so when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Three descriptors there. Withdrew, privately, solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he told them to nick off because he needed rest. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And Jesus said, that's the idea. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat, at which point the disciples freaked out. We only have five loaves of bread, two fish. Jesus said, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men plus women and children. Now Jesus is on his way to rest in this passage. And yet on his way to rest, he's interrupted by people. And I love that the fact that he's interruptible for people. I love the fact that Jesus always made time for people in his life. And he looks at them and the passage tells us he has compassion on them. He heals their sick and then he performs a miracle. But I want you to notice the next word. Because I think the next word is very important. Verse 22 says, immediately, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat Go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, here we go again, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. We read the passage and we go, wow, it's amazing, it's a miracle. But maybe there's something just as important for us to learn from Jesus' life about rest. When Jesus was interrupted from a time of rest and prayer, he didn't push people away because they wrecked his schedule, but he also didn't forget about the importance of rest. He didn't say, oh, well, I'll live while I'm alive and rest when I'm dead and just keep going and keep pushing on. No, immediately, immediately after finishing with the crowds, he dismissed the people, he sent away the disciples, and he prioritised his need for rest. Now, if every part of Scripture is God-breathed, there must be a very good reason that this little detail is included. And I think it's included because Jesus is modelling for us something that is critical for all of our lives, which we don't appreciate enough, and that is rest. Maybe this morning you're thinking, well, Luke, that's a little bit of a stretch in the story, but I want you to know that this story is not a once-off. In fact, you would be surprised to see how often this pattern reoccurs in Jesus' ministry. He rests, and then he steps out, and he ministers. He rests, and then he steps out, and he ministers. Let me show you some examples this morning. Mark 1.35. 
very early in the morning while it was still dark. For some of you, you need to know there is a very early in the morning when it's still dark. Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Rest, minister. Luke 6, 12, 13. One of those days as Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Rest, ministry. Jesus, knowing in John 6.15 that he intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And the immediate context of this is straight after this, he walked on water and calmed the seas. Rest, work. Luke 5.16-17, but Jesus, look at this word, often, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Rest, work. Rest, minister. It makes me wonder whether our capacity to effectively live lives on mission is directly linked with our capacity to rest. Jesus in his life modelled to us the importance of rest. Not only does Jesus model rest, but he also promises rest for those who come to him. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is Light. What a wonderful passage of scripture that is. In a time of legalistic religion enforced by the Pharisees, Jesus comes and offers new life that is more about relationship than it is about religion. What Jesus is saying in these verses is what the NIV application commentary describes as a tender call to intimacy with him for all who are weary and burdened. A few weeks ago on Cup Weekend, November, our family were generously offered some time away at a friend's house in San Remo. And I've got to say, it couldn't have come at a better time. The week before, uh, Dale got married, which was a big week for the family, a wonderful celebration with Brandon. And also, it was the week that Dave had left his position as the associate pastor. And I've got to be honest, I felt exhausted. I was tired, emotionally drained. And so this opportunity came up at the absolute perfect time. And so we decided that Kim and the kids were going to come, we're going to go together, we're going to stay from Sunday afternoon, and the kids and Kim would stay till Wednesday night, and then they would go home, and then I'd spend a day and a half by myself just to recuperate, to pray, to prepare myself for the rest of the year. So we headed off on the Sunday afternoon. However, the kids got sick pretty quickly, and they ended up going home on Tuesday morning which meant I had quite a few days alone. And that was really sad because I was looking forward to some family time. But in the end, in a strange kind of way, it was a bit of a blessing for a couple of reasons. First of all, the sickness left the house and drove back to Melbourne, which was great. But secondly, I had some quiet time alone. And I've got to say, I slept a lot. I didn't sleep in because, well, I'm still scarred from my childhood, but (laughs) I had an afternoon nap every day. 
And when I say I had a nap, I didn't try and force myself to sleep. I sat on the couch and I just went straight to sleep every day in the afternoon. I walked along the beach for long walks. I went to the coffee shop to read books. I spent significant times in prayer and studying the Word. And I know if you're married with no kids, retired or still single, I'm describing your daily life. But um, just offended most people in the church. But for me, it's been years since I've had an opportunity like that by myself. Time that I had that week with God was so rich and refreshing. And I honestly believe those few days did more for my soul than any other kind of rest possibly could have. In fact, it was so refreshing, I think it's enabled me to finish this year from refreshment rather than exhaustion. I've left the rest to come back to minister at an important time of year. And I thought to myself after that week, why haven't I done this before? Why have I been so undisciplined in finding times just to be with God and rest? Why, after reading the Gospels over and over again, haven't I withdrawn more often to a solitary place to pray? The takeaway for me was that I need to really actually schedule times in my life, daily, weekly, monthly, annually, to have times of rest in Jesus because I want to come out of rest to minister rather than just coming out of ministry to rest at the point of exhaustion. King Jesus promises us rest, but we first need to come to him. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, which is a great description of this time of year for so many people. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can book a holiday this time of year. We could binge on Netflix. We could play computer games or go for a walk. And all of those things can be enjoyable and helpful at times. But none of them compare to time in the presence of God through intimate and tender relationship with Jesus. He says this morning, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So I wonder, what does it look like for us to come to Jesus right now, even in the midst of the busyness of Christmas? What does it look like for each of us as we move forward towards a new year? For some of you, it might mean unplugging for a bit. Buying an old school analog alarm clock that you can put next to your bed so you don't have to plug your phone in every night and look at Facebook as you're drifting off. Maybe you need to take Facebook or Twitter off your phone like I recently have and just have a break altogether. Possibly, you know, there's a possibility we're being discipled more by our screens than we are by Jesus. And so sometimes instead of being controlled by our phones, we need to actually take control of our phones and actually put our phone to bed and say, good night, I'll leave you down on the bench. Now I'm going to bed. I'm going to spend quality time with my wife and I'm going to read a book. I'm going to do whatever, but I'm not going to be ruled by my phone anymore. Maybe you might need to think about a digital Sabbath where you have a day a week where you just turn your phone off for the day or a couple of hours a day. Maybe you might think about having Netflix free nights to make more room for time in the Word. Maybe it's family time this Christmas where you sit around the dinner table and you talk about the true meaning of Christmas and you spend some time reflecting on why it's important to each of you. Maybe it's having your lunch break on a park bench where you can meditate on God's goodness while you enjoy the fresh air. Maybe it's joining with others in the follow community next year and committing to the Bible in one year, in 2020, to regularly have your mind renewed through God's Word. Maybe it is scheduling a day away for no other reason but just to seek God and pray. 
whatever it is for you, I want to encourage you to think about how you can incorporate rest into your diary and more importantly, into the regular rhythm of your life. Because Jesus promises rest when we're weary and burdened. He guarantees rest for our souls, but it's on one condition, that we come to him. The bookends of the Bible, we see rest. In both creation and consummation, rest plays a central role. God rested on the seventh day and he set a pattern for us, but King Jesus also guarantees a future rest. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer talks about a future rest for God's people that is accessed by faith in Jesus. In the first verse of that chapter, it says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you have found to have fallen short of it. Jesus is our rest from works now, just as he is the door to heaven where we will find rest in him forever. You and I as followers of Jesus and members of his kingdom have been declared holy and righteous because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross. And the moment we trust in him, we are forgiven of our sin. No longer do we have to keep striving to be acceptable because we're acceptable before God in Christ. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our shortcomings, but instead he sees the righteousness of his son in us. That's only possible by faith and by the incredible grace of God. It's a wonderful truth. And it means because we are children of the one true king, we can rest. We can rest in our identity. We know who we are. We can rest in our position before God's throne. We can rest in the guaranteed promises of God for the future. That confidence we have, that rest that has been achieved, should never be underestimated or taken for granted. In a world where people never truly discover who they really are. In a world where people wrestle through identity issues their entire lives. In a world where so many people live in crippling fear about the future. By faith in Jesus, we can enter into rest in those things, knowing that the answers have been secured for us in Christ. It's a wonderful kind of rest. We know who we are. We are a new creation in Christ. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish. There is no other Sabbath rest besides Jesus. He alone satisfies the requirements of the law. He alone provides the sacrifice that atones for sin. He is God's plan for us to cease from the labor of our own works. That rest is accessible right now through faith in the King. It's a rest that is both present and also future. It's like the kingdom of God. It's now, but not yet. There's a fullness still to come because you've probably noticed in this life we continue to struggle. We struggle with pain and suffering. We struggle with injustice and evil, mental illness and depression, uncertainty and fear. But the day is coming when Jesus returns for his people and those things will come to an end. Revelation 21 looks forward to that day. It says where every tear will be wiped from our eyes, where there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. This is the great promise of our faith. This is the great hope of the gospel. When Jesus returns in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be made like him. And it will be in that moment that we will experience a rest like nothing we've ever experienced before. And the great news is this, that it will be for all eternity. 
in the presence of God. Let me tell you, church, that is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful news. This Christmas, as we reflect on Jesus, our King, let's follow in his footsteps in this area of rest by coming to him on a regular basis. Let's not drift with the tide by living lives of insane, unsustainable pace, but instead take time to unplug, to withdraw, and to rest. What would Jesus do? That's exactly what he did. Wouldn't it be countercultural if when someone asks us this Christmas, how are you, instead of responding like everyone responds and saying busy, like it's a badge of honour, that we could instead respond by saying amazing. And when people say, why are you so amazing? You can say, because I've rested in the presence of my Saviour. That's countercultural. Kingdom of God is a countercultural kingdom. So let's be people that live a different way. Let us quietly reflect this Christmas time on Jesus' birth with grateful hearts, reminding ourselves that he came to save us. Among many other attributes, let's never forget that Jesus is our restful king. He's brought incredible rest for us, his people. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much that you left the glory of heaven and came to earth to dwell with us. You're Emmanuel, God with us. What an incredible thing that is. Lord, we thank you that we have such an example to look to and to follow. Lord, as we look at your life, there are so many things that we can learn from you. You're the humble servant king. You're the one true king. But Lord, I thank you that you modeled this idea of rest for us. Lord, if you need a rest, we are reminded that we definitely need rest. And so I pray, Lord, that we'd be disciplined in this area, that we would be people that regularly come to you, to come to know you in deeper ways, to come to know you every single day, to come to you for the rest and the refreshment that we need for our souls. Lord, we thank you for that incredible promise in Matthew chapter 11, that when we come to you, we will find rest. Lord, we acknowledge this is a very busy time of year. And Lord, we can easily just say off our lips, yeah, we're busy, busy, busy. But Lord, I pray that we'd find those moments to withdraw. It might just be 10 minutes. It might be half a day. It might be just a moment of prayer. But help us to withdraw, to find those solitary places that we can just be with you. And I pray, Lord, as we go forward into a new year, that next year we'll be people that actually minister, live lives of mission, that are built on a foundation of godly rest, that we'd reimagine, re-look at our lives and maybe reorder some things, maybe reconsider some of the things that we feel we need to do and, and reconsider whether we really need to do those things. But Lord, I pray that we prioritise this area of rest. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know you. Lord, that eternal rest is only found in a relationship with you as we accept what you did for us on the cross that you died on, on our behalf for our sins. You took them upon yourself and you died in our place. And it's a wonderful thing. And as we accept that by faith, Lord, your righteousness is given to us. We're declared holy and innocent and righteous. And that is a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a place of rest where we don't have to strive to try and earn our salvation, but we can rest in the salvation that's been achieved for us by you at the cross. Well, for anyone here who doesn't know you, I pray today, right now, that they would accept you as their Lord and Saviour in their hearts. That today would be the start of a journey 
where they follow you for the rest of their lives. Lord, as we go into this week, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we'd be doers of the word. We pray this today in the powerful, the life-changing name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church or you can find us on social media at Follow Baptist Church.